0: Summer's not here long, so seize the sizzle with Walmart. Find all your faves such as Oscar Mayer hot dogs, Kraft Singles, and Heinz Ketchup. This time of year is all about living easy and sizzling good food. Whether you're cooking for two or for a houseful, grilling outside makes mealtime simple, delicious, and fun. When the coals are hot, be grill ready with all the best ingredients from Walmart.
1: Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. Ace is the only national retailer that carries Benjamin Moore paint, which means the paint you trust and a huge selection of colors are right in your neighborhood. And right now when you buy a sample of Benjamin Moore paint, we'll give you $5 off your next paint purchase. So if you're looking for award-winning service and a new look for your home, look no further than Benjamin Moore paint at Ace. Offer valid on gallons of Benjamin Moore, Clark & Kensington & Royal Paint. Limit one $5 coupon on one gallon purchase to participating Ace stores only. See store for additional details and exclusions. You are
0: about to enter the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast on shockwaveskullsessions.com. And now your host, Bob Nalbandian shockwave skull sessions podcast we got a great episode on something that I, tell, I i got tons of emails of people telling me dude you gotta do something on power metal so uh i got i i i believe two perfect guests to uh discuss power metal on this episode we got our returning guest and uh, we can say shockwave skull sessions regular i huh, martin yeah,
2: sure. Absolutely.
0: There you go. He doesn't <laughs> mind. What's going on, Martin? Oh, nothing much. Just
2: uh, kind of working away, packing up a lot of Rush books lately. Boy, that Rush book is selling uh, almost too
0: good. I'm, I'm spending all my time doing mail order. Dude, I've been seeing that, man. You, you, you're going to have to hire, steal from Amazon's work, workers and get them working for you. I'm sure you could pay them better.
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's the one part of the business that's not broken, right? I mean, mail order is basically it's kind of the one thing that's still alive, and uh, unfortunately, that's what I'm I'm spending a lot of my time on. Plus, writing, but I'm not getting much time to write because yeah. yes, I'm signing books and driving
0: them up to my mail place all the time. Wow, yeah, I've I've been seeing that. Uh, I'm a huge buzz on that Rush book, uh, and you got a couple other books. I know you still got the the. Uh, a ye the metal series you kind of got uh, in kind of a digital format now or like uh, i know di- did you do something on um, holocaust and a bunch of different bands uh fairly recently? yeah yeah so
2: I, I have ebook versions of those old ye metal books plus i've been writing some shorter documents and putting them out so those aren't in print at all but the main things that that are happening right now is i also last week had a saxon book out mm. or two weeks ago three weeks ago and um merciful fate book is recent and then the the three maiden books i'm in the middle of the third maiden book but i just can't get around to get getting the thing finished so that's that's the current stuff
0: yeah dude you are a book machine i tell (laughs) you right on all right and our second guest we got andy dowling an old friend of mine who i uh met back in what was that 2012 right in germany at the headbangers open air festival
3: that's right. A, a bit of a hazy, uh, experience over in Germany, but it was, it was a lot of fun. It was uh, a pleasure to meet you. And obviously we've, we've been friends ever since.
0: Absolutely. That was a great time, man. What a great festival. Uh, uh, Lord, you guys absolutely kicked ass. And it was, uh, you know, I was there with the band Eden that I used to manage back in the eighties that kind of got back together. And Lizzie Borden was on the bill, Silver Mountain, uh, Onslaught, a lot of great bands, uh, were on the bill. Vixen, uh, a lot, old school metal bill. So uh, it was, it was great to meet you there and, uh, Uh, Let's uh, go ahead and get going, man. Um, Power Metal, we're going to discuss here on this episode... Uh, to start off with, I'll, I'll kind of give you my perspective on power metal. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's interesting how this became known as a genre. I remember back in the early 80s, there was always terms like power something, power rock, or high energy rock and roll was a big term everyone used back in the <laughs> early 80s. It was like, don't call us metal, we're high energy rock and roll. Dante Fox, <laughs> we play high energy rock and roll. And that was like the big thing in LA and <laughs> in, uh, Orange County. And then I remember first time I heard Power Metal was actually uh, Metallica had a demo tape, which Ron McGovney named Power Metal. He actually made these business cards. Ron McGovney of Metallica's first bass player. The original Metallica demo tape was named after the business card that he made, and it was called the Power Metal demo. And that was a four song demo before No Life to Leather. And that was the first time I saw a band actually tag themselves as power metal. And before it was called speed metal, you know, I, I, I believe Raven, maybe Martin could help me out here. I think Raven were one of the original bands called speed metal. Then it became all the, you know, all the thrash metal bands before the thrash metal moniker was discovered. You know, people called themselves, you know, Metallica and Megadeth. They were speed metal. And then it became, you know, thrash metal and power metal kind of got lost in the shuffle. And now it's kind of morphed into this kind of uh, uh, Halloween where one of the, uh, you know, uh, original bands that I think were dubbed power metal. I remember Sabotage way back in the day were called that. But it's it's, uh, interesting how uh, it's become an actual genre. And now certain bands, like you had said, uh, Andy, about, you know, people tagging you guys as power metal. And I know a lot of people take those monikers very serious It's like, "No, we're not power metal. We're symbolic power metal or we're,
3: you know, this kind of
0: <laughs> symbolic speed metal." You know, it's, it's it's funny, but
3: what how would you describe the music of Lord Andy? Yeah, I think um we try to keep it really uh really simple, which doesn't uh help the purists, but um we just we say we're melodic metal, which is usually the easiest thing, but I think I think to make it easy for for people that are getting used to us some power metal is usually the safest place to start. I mean, but we, I mean, as we will discuss in this chat, I mean, there's so many different niches and subgenres within the power metal world where everything from sym- symphonic to, you know, this, the U S power metal uh, wave that came through, which was a lot harder and had sort of those uh, earlier speed metal, um, you know, elements, et cetera. So we've, we've sort of encapsulated a lot of that stuff over the years. So we, we end up just being this heavy metal band that plays a bit of everything, but um yeah, it it always stumps me when someone asks exactly exactly what we sound like. So as as you guys have already uh, discovered listening to me trying to waffle on and explain myself, but um, let's let's keep it simple and say uh, say power metal for for the sake of the podcast.
0: <laughs> right, on. and Martin <laughs> I, I, I know you're uh, you're quite an expert when it comes to uh, the uh, power metal term. I know you were uh, featured on uh, actually you were involved in the making of the uh, great Sam Dunn series on Power Metal it was uh, what what was the series called again Evolution Metal Evolution
2: yeah. yeah we did it in Metal Evolution and then we even did a later uh episodes uh, straight for YouTube on um what did we call those ones where we did the episodes and move stuff around Overkill no bah, bah, I'm not sure anyways we had a whole we had a whole thing where we did a stand up thing on uh, on basically uh Power Metal but uh yeah I mean I, I don't know if I'm an expert on it but I I certainly I guess I'm, I'm a quasi-expert on the origins of it, I suppose, but I, I haven't kept up with There's so many bands doing it now in so many different directions that, uh, you know, and that actually started probably, you know, when we when we first started the magazine around ninety four. 95 that's when you really started getting the ramp up of lots and lots and lots of bands blind, blind guardian came into prominence sure. but, but you know gamma ray and all that all the halloween triumvirate of bands right and then uh primal clear uh, and, and then and then Hammerfall fall was Hammerfall. the big one to kick yeah. it off even more and then you had the italian scene and then there was all mm-hmm. the debates about the symphonic metal from uh from from Nightwish through to soundtrack metal rhapsody uh and the really melodic stuff like stradivarius so this is when all these bands like really came into prominence and the whole idea then was this idea of uh reclaiming metal and reclaiming to be proud of metal again almost like the first time that ever happened was the new wave of british heavy metal and here they were doing it again at this time and it was a very european thing um mm. you know iced earth uh, god love them you know ha- held down the fort for america essentially sure. uh and then there was just more and more and more and i i haven't really particularly kept up but i mean if you want to go way back And I'll just give you my quick little and just stop me if I'm blabbing on here. But, uh, you know, I I think I think obviously it starts with classical music. um, But moving forward, big leap forward, uh, I would say Uriah Heap with Demons and Wizards, things like that. Heap does not get enough uh, enough uh, credence. And then, of course, um, you know, because of the themes and the progginess and the high singing, I suppose, somewhat a little bit the the melody, the harmonies. Uh, but then, Bob, your favorite album of all time, of course, uh, comes next, and then we've got Rainbow Rising, right? Right. Um, so you go into Rainbow, um, and then I think uh, basically uh, at the same time you've got you've got Priest. Um, so it's it's speed, it's high vocals, it's it's technicality, it's guitar solos, right? And then basically you kind of move into the likes of uh, a lot of new wave of British heavy metal bands, but in particular Maiden. And then, like you said, you know, pretty much correctly, Halloween was always considered the, uh, you know, the snot nosed uh, upstart baby uh, baby version, faster version of Iron Maiden. Right. Um, so really. You know, I remember when we did that episode for YouTube on power metal, uh, and Manowar is in there. As I was well, going to say
0: actually, Manowar weren't one of the original ones called uh, power metal. I forgot to mention. Yeah, I and think a lot they, of it was their look. You know, they looked powerful. Yeah, they were exactly yeah. the look
2: and the lyrics, but not so much the music. They had this weird, clanky sort of music, right? But uh, but I remember, um, you know, when we did that episode, we we kind of came down on the idea that. Uh, you know, Halloween is the one everybody mentions, but the other one that's pretty important for the very origins of actually, like, a fresh, you know, a fresh era calling something power metal for the first time is probably the the second Angve album with, uh, you know, that was mostly vocals. Uh, what is it called? Uh, not Marching Out... Uh with, right. with Jeff Scott soto. the just got soto, second one called, yeah, they Nomsi's Rising Force. Anyways, that God. one, uh, with uh, you know, I'll See the Light Tonight, and I but was that
0: considered yeah. power metal back then when that came out because that came out.
2: Well, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, right. the, the point is, I, I really, um, I, I loved your little explanation of where the term comes from because I've always thought power metal was a was, uh, was not a good term for this kind of music. It, it is a better term for Metallica, and it is a better term for, you know, what Pantera uh, was doing later when they, sure. you know, when they started calling, they, they had an album called Power Metal, right? Yeah. But, no, I, I don't know when the term was particularly applied to what I call, you know, joking, jokingly sometimes frilly sleeves metal or ballerina metal. right anyway,
3: <laughs> so
0: it.
2: Uh, anyways, uh, I, I've babbled on enough. you you bring me in again when you want, but uh, go ahead uh, talk to, talk
0: No, I, that. I think that's a good point. it's it's when it's when I mean, a lot of people would call themselves a certain style of music. But I think when it really became a a genre is like you said, with Halloween, it became known as this European. Uh, thing, but uh, obviously, man of war, I-, I remember them labeled. As, as power metal not as a genre but as describing their music and their look and their lyrics was all very powerful it was all about you know like you said it had that classical element and it was just very powerful in sound and in appearance and their live show you know we're the loudest band in the world it was all about being mega extra you know giving it a notch above heavy metal we're power metal and then it became this European sound and I think around you know when, when Halloween started was around when the genre Became labeled as that, you know, and you mentioned bands like Hammerfall and, uh, you know, and then the more symphonic bands like Blind Guardian and, and stuff like that. And then it became kind of happy metal with bands like Sonatica, Artica, or Sonatic Artica, and, uh, you know, and even Stradivarius to an extent. It was uh, people thought, you know, well, this genre sounds too happy, you know, and, and even bands like Nightwish and all that. It wasn't uh, mean and aggressive as As the term originally, I think started as as power yeah. metal. one other thing to mention
2: just before I forget is that there's also that um you know, there's that that cool little area um you know, when people later started calling uh, this original American power metal true metal, right? Keep a right. true festival mm. yes. so so I used to call that stuff poverty metal and it was basically <laughs> um you know it, it, or or working man or lunch bucket metal, you know the the stuff basically, uh, Two thirds of the metal blade roster from from yep. sort of eighty three through to eighty six, right? Sure. Those bands, Tyrant oh, and bands like that, yeah. Yeah, you know, a, a obsession and even even yep. metal church to some, uh, so, you know, Armored Saint is a perfect example. Absolutely, even they, they aren't a small band. I mean, they were yeah. on a major label, but they they fit perfectly into that. I mean, look look at the you know the armor itself, exactly and, and the look
0: up. itself. Their image was, yeah. was power metal.
2: So yeah. so there's that. So there's this American version of power Metal Metal that that is housed in that that in that era, and it's usually pretty poor bands and not great production, and you know they're on a shoestring kind of thing. But that's the stuff that later uh, was you know in in retrospect referred back to as true metal, right?
0: right. Absolutely, Andy. What's your take on it? I mean, you uh, uh, came started what in '89? You said is when the band was formed, right? So that was right around the cusp of when this you know was kind of becoming known as a genre or probably a little bit after but uh, what's uh, what's your take on it especially coming out of Australia
3: yeah I think I think we were heavily influenced sort of in the late 80s by what was going on in the US market rather than anywhere else in particular mm. um, so you know the big the big bands that were sort of uh, paying attention to were uh, a lot of a lot of the thrash movement that was happening in the 80s um, but also some of the stuff leaning into the more progressive sphere like Queensryche and and even sabotage which could be as you said, Bob, was um, sort of at times labelled as a bit of a power metal band as well at at particular times in their career.
0: Um,
3: And then leaning into what we've been referring to Halloween as well in the European market, a lot of – and also bands like Leatherwolf as well. Ah, um, Oh, wow. Some like, you know, the three guitar attack and and these, these amazing harmonies and huge choruses, et cetera. Um, So there's a lot of that sort of elements that sort of influenced the beginnings of, of what was Dungeon at the time and then eventually turned into Lord. And I think over the years, and one thing that I've noticed with power metal is that, especially with the term power, is that most of these bands, even though they all branched off and went in these different directions, whether it be symphonic or a bit more upbeat and happy or whatever it might be, is that they've got this underlying speed attached to it where a lot of the origins, when we talk about early power metal, a lot of it comes from some element of guitar-driven speed, whether it be, you know, speed metal, um, straight up, or or some of the older stuff, even even the 70s stuff that, Martin, you are talking about, has some, you know, probably in comparison to what has come out in the last couple of decades, it's probably quite slow, but at the time was very fast, um, aggressive guitar playing um, with, with melodic vocals, and I think that sort of underpinned a lot of what became power metal later on down the track. So as far as the term goes... I mean, I've, I've, I'm, I'm really leaning on you guys, and it's quite interesting to to hear your perspectives as to where you saw the names, the, all the turns pop up. But I guess all, when I listen to a lot of these bands, I always hear that common theme, whether it be Rhapsody, which is ultra cheesy and symphonic, mm-hmm. but they've got this fast underlying guitar playing and double kick uh, drums, et cetera, or even Nightwish, early Nightwish as well. Um, you know, a lot of those bands that sort of are very extreme in a different direction um, have still got that, that speed attached to it. And so for us, when we've always played, we've always had ridiculously fast guitars, um, lots of guitar solos, uh, lots of big sing-along choruses. And obviously we've lended from the, from the traditional uh, guys such as priest and maiden, et cetera, but, um, have definitely, uh, definitely taken a note out of as many books as we can along the way to, Uh, to create what we what we do and i think we've just always loved uh, the melodic element of metal and and try to beef it up as much as we can with fast guitars and that's you know oversimplifying what we've what we've done over the years but um it's probably a great way to sort of describe it right yeah that melodic
2: aspect i mean that i remember now from the episode as well um you know we we um uh, investigated a little bit this idea of Schlager music from, you know, which is kind of this uh, this really cheesy, poppy music from the history of Germany that was part of mm-hmm. all this. That bleeds into the, you know, when you when you try to review this stuff, everybody stumbles around terms like soccer, you know, the soccer hauler or football hooligan <laughs> uh, chant uh, kind of uh, aspect to the vocals and stuff. And, you know, one thing I also wanted to mention, um, we have to make sure that we Pay homage to Ronnie James Dio in this uh, big time because Absolutely. because of what he brought to uh, definitely the lyrics uh, in Rainbow first of all not not particularly Elf but so that's the direct line from Heat but then it, then it, you know the Dio band itself is considered so much of a of a you know power metal originator and Andy very different to what you just described it's like it's like again. Deals almost like the uh the uptown version of the poverty metal or the American or the true metal thing. Um mm-hmm. uh, so, so it's a little more uh li- s- little slower and thicker, but it's like traditional metal. So traditional metal is another thing that power metal gets you know bled into somewhat. And and in that, like, you know, I mentioned earlier metal church, but also accept uh, you know, fall right into that whole thing. Sure. Even even Digger in the beginning, Gravedigger is is like half Thrash band, half half power metal band in a way. So you don't, you know, some of these bands they they fall out of the definition due to their vocals, and then and then there's a band like Queensrÿche who falls out of the definition. They're definitely in the definition on the EP, but then they start falling out of it. The same way Fates Warning is out of it into a progressive mm-hmm. metal. So so power metal, you know, it's it, it's right next to. Uh, progressive metal at the same time right so you know it's there's all these spokes in the wheel that go off into into various directions you could be a thrashy power metal band a progressive power metal band a traditional power metal band you could be all sort you know nightwish you you can you can go even more classical uh in that direction so so yeah that's yeah, it's it's, uh, it's definitely got a, a lot of uh, origins, and, and yeah, I, I just see these two kind of veins more than anything, the European one and the American one.
3: I think from our end, I mean, the biggest it's the biggest advantage, but also the biggest uh, disadvantage that we've had over the years is being labeled or being put into the pigeonhole of, of a power metal band, because as you just explained, Martin, there's so many different elements and branches off that term where we could when we're putting together an album i mean we love so many different metal bands and so we go well you know what do we want to lean on and so we'll do a thrash metal song and then we'll do something that's very sort of you know symphonic with a lot of orchestration and then we'll do something that's a little bit heavier and and then we'll or we'll do something a little bit more more mid-paced which is a bit more traditional uh or true metal or whatever it might be um and it all comes under this power metal sort of label but then the the issue that we've always had or the biggest challenge we've always had over the years is being marketed as a power metal band because i think when you talk to a lot of people these days who probably aren't as familiar with the the deep roots of the genre um they would probably lean towards what has been happening in europe over the past couple of decades and so i can't remember the terms that you used before martin but we always used to use the term flower metal for a lot of this stuff because it was just this, you know, this pretty sort of you know, upbeat um, symphonic sort of thing, very light sounding uh, sort of music that was coming from parts of Europe. And so people would go, well, they're a power metal band. I don't want to listen to them. Um, so it was it was an advantage where we had the versatility where we could do heaps of different things as opposed to maybe like a death metal band where you're a little bit more uh, you know, streamlined, a little bit more restricted as far as what you can do. But um, at the same time, because we're so broad, Um, was very difficult to market what we were doing as well. So, uh, yeah, double-edged sword.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's interesting you mention, uh, uh, you know, the difference with a progressive, because uh, you could say a band like Dream Theater, where there's more power metal, especially the early Pull Me Under and all that kind of stuff. It definitely had very progressive elements, but it was heavy in, a, in a, almost in a Metallica sense. And But a lot of it does come from, as you say, the early um, 70s bands, whether it's the symphonic metal of, you know, Blind Guardian, Demons of Wizards, Symphony X, or Nightwish, or the... Uh, uh you know happier bands like the uh, Sinatica, artica and, and and hammerfall which is uh it, it sounds kind of light it's, it's it's happy power metal uh in a sense uh, as you mentioned uh, Andy but you know you you do go back to ronnie james dio and and you mentioned uh, rainbow Rising, stargazer Uriah Heep and uh, you could even go to say as far as uh, you know deep purple with fireball i mean that song you know is considered by some mm. one of the first uh, speed metal songs but you could also say it's one of the first power metal songs in in a sense that it's fast heavy and got that real aggressive kind of thing Hard Loving Man too, right? Uh, oh, absolutely, yeah. From In Rock yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 interesting how it. Uh, and uh, obviously, a lot of their influences go way back to Deep Purple, and you know, a lot of people obviously credit Iron Maiden, especially you know when Power Slave came out. I think that was uh, a definite force in where it became. Uh, a little bit more progressive with longer songs, and you know Dickinson's very uh, symphonic vocals uh, on that album, and uh, you know I, th- I think that that's kind of the roots. To uh, to power metal and then I think you know as, as you guys said Halloween kind of took the torch with it and I think that's when the genre it's interesting how the l- genres are labeled if it's from a, a journalist or from a record company to market it but you know like I said as before it would just oh yeah that band you know matter they're like power metal you know and then it all of a sudden became this genre and you had all these subgenres as you say Andy you know uh, progressive power metal symphonic power metal came about. yeah and, and, and you know we also have to emphasize again
2: I mean I mentioned a about- but but Iron Maiden is super important in this, just for all of those themes—the historical themes, the war themes, the uh, literature themes, right? Because that's all—that's all a power metal trope. The twin leads, that you know, the operatic singing of Bruce, the, you know, the fairly fast songs, you know, one or two per album, right? So so Maiden are are um, are kind of like that that link in the chain between the seventies and Halloween, I suppose, more than anybody.
0: And it's interesting, Andy, how you say it could really kind of. The term could hurt a band in a way where, whether it be magazines or or fans, uh, you know, consider yourselves, you know, they're a power metal band, and instantly people think, oh, power metal, they must sound like this European kind of very melodic, happy power metal, or they'll have their own view of what power metal is, it's all kind of... Pigeonhole you in a certain way. Uh, has that cursed you a lot, Andy?
3: I think I think it's hurt us a little bit when it comes to labels. So I think labels love to have a nice, clean, clear um, understanding of, of what the band sounds like, so they can market it, which makes sense. It's it's, it's good business, but um, you know, for us, I mean, you know, going back to what I said before, like or, or what you just mentioned, Bob, it's like people will go, well, I'm not going to listen to them because I don't like power metal and the vision of what I think power metal is. But then on the on the flip side. You'll have somebody who thinks power metal is that, loves that sort of stuff, and then listens to us and goes, "Well, this is not Sonata Artica, or this is not Stradivarius, and and this is not what I like. It's it's too it's too hard or it's too fast or whatever it might be. Um, it's not it's not sort of in line with what my expectations of power metal is." And so, we've you know we would go and shop an album and and with uh, some of the especially European labels in particular, and they were like, "Well." we really don't know what to what to market you guys as and we we just say look can you just cause a heavy metal band and even that even that comes with a bit of uh, a bit of uh, baggage as well so it's um yeah it's a bit of a challenge I mean but I think that's for us I mean we've always sort of been a bit of a DIY band which is why we sort of only got to the to the level that we have over the years um and we've been able to sort of really sort of carve out a bit of a niche ourselves but um We've always had those challenges when we speak to uh, speak to the industry and try and get that sort of support because uh, from a marketable point of view, I mean, mind you, these days, I mean, if you think about some of the other European bands that are coming out like Sabaton, Powerwolf, um, some of those harder sort of, you know, they've got power metal, power metal elements but they're more heavier and sort of uh, they've got a bit more grit attached to them and probably leaning a little bit more on the US stuff as well guitar wise um maybe maybe we're a little bit more marketable than we used to be because some um, you know, in the in the 90s dungeon was on uh limb in uh, in europe oh and yeah we just had records. and we had just an absolute nightmare um dealing with them because they really wanted to turn this into like an italian power metal band and we, we right. just sounded nothing like it <laughs> and so there was a lot of tension between band and label to try and work out well what the hell are we It's it's always been a challenge but i mean we at the same time we kind of like it as well i mean it's a very Australian thing um, in our culture to be the underdog, and so we always love a challenge and to be um, to to always sort of be fighting for. Um, recognition or or reward or whatever it might be so we've always sort of embraced it and and taken a lot of pride in just doing what we do and if we if we get a win and and we get to the right people and the right people listen to us that's fantastic and we just we just keep doing what we do so um yeah we always try to look at the silver lining of it all
2: yeah i guess the other big problem with uh with the you, you know you were mentioning being stigmatized at it is um there there's a lot of relying on the tropes of like illustration and fantasy illustration for the cover arts of of Mm. power metal albums right so that that usually paints a certain picture and 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 you know reinforces those those um you know characteristics right absolutely Um, and you know there and as i was saying there 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 was an exponential growth after you know it, it was it, as bob mentioned in the late 90s i mean hammerfall was this fresh thing and they kind of got all the press and sucked all the oxygen out of the room but primal fear like like right you know right there yeah, they were very prolific put out a lot of stuff and they did pretty well but you know the the records just kept coming and coming and coming and and if you're you know when when you're not the first on the block with something as as was Hammerfall I mean that Hammerfall was dropping right into this uh This uh, climate of just hating everything to do with metal, everything to do with metal is embarrassing. Hair metal had gone by, grunge had gone by. It was kind of hard alternative and industrial and, and just straight alternative music at that time. And, you know, every metal band was grousing about how bad their sales were. And Hammerfall comes in and says, we are unapologetically metal, just like... In 1979, with Priest, with Hellbent Bent for Leather, yep. and Take on the World, and Unleashed in the East, and British Steel, and United, right? Um, Hammerfall was that band kind of again in in 95, 96, whenever it was glory to the brave and all that. Right. Mm. Um, And then and then I remember now just thinking the other little blip, the little blip of excitement was the arrival of Dragon Force. Right. Um, You had you had a band out of uh, the UK, which was odd because UK had basically sat out this whole thing um you know there there had been others uh, along we remember pirate metal a- ale storm and all yeah, that right, right. Uh, yes so you had pirate metals a, a a branch of this folk metal is a little bit of branch of this but but dragon force i remember were getting all those um you know they, they were in all the guitar magazines and all the technical stuff and the clinics and all that and and so there was a buzz around them but then the buzz kind of wore off again and there and i guess sabaton uh andy as you mentioned was a bit of a bright spot again right you know, and Martha. You know, you can almost say. I mean, they've had a lot of success. True. They aren't exactly a power metal band, but but you know, there's there's these, these little members, <laughs> there's, there's these percentages of them that that kind of fit to a power metal crowd, anyways, right? Um, but yeah, Sabaton was a big one. Uh, definitely a, a a pretty pretty uh, you know well well respected band or well received band. Uh, that that was doing this all anew, uh, so yeah, it's it's funny. It just it just seemed like that there, there was too much of a glut there for a little bit of time. But but all those bands did quite well. I mean, Blind Guardian's had a great career, right? Huge uh, doing this, yeah. So so a lot of these bands, even though practically none of them broke over here, you could say Nightwish somewhat, right? But basically none of them broke over here. But everybody had a you know a just a, a perfectly fine career uh, all over. Europe. I mean, it must be hard being from Australia and uh, and not, you know, and not not being constantly literally spending months and months all the time in Europe, um, for example. Right. <laughs> Yeah as as wood bands like Iced Earth and Manowar they would just they would just go over the ocean and spend a lot of time in Europe right so even even american power metal bands could have uh, have somewhat of a life just based on on their european situation so yeah i don't know
0: i was going to say how is it being in australia has it been a bit of a struggle cuz i don't know of many power metal bands from australia
3: yeah absolutely i think i think it's it's funny because we we've always been isolated and it's only been in sort of the last last 10 or so years where the internet sort of got to a point now where it's just so easy to, to connect with everybody like we're doing right now. And I think what we did just as, a, just as a necessity is we created our own scene. You know, we just create our own little isolated scene down here in the arse end of the world and and started uh, making up bands that were inspired by what was going on in Europe and, and the US. So we've, I mean, we've got a really great sort of history of, of fantastic bands in Australia, but unfortunately the common theme with a lot of them, is that um, the success that they got outside of Australia is is quite limited um, in places, and it's only been sort of in the last several years that um, a lot more Australian bands are starting to get a lot of worldwide rec- recognition, I should say, um, and get get the the credit they des- they deserve. But I mean, some of the bands that sort of came from from our neck of the woods were bands like um, Vanishing Point, Black Majesty, I Fear, um, Pegasus, as well. Oh yeah, they're they yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they on
3: uh, Nuclear Blast, I think uh, in the mid yeah. to late 90s I think um, we've also got some newer bands like uh, Voyager who have gone more sort of progressive sort of metal now but um, sort of their earlier stuff was uh, far more power metal-ish um, Darker Half, Espionage Silent Night, um, Tabra so a lot of bands that maybe oh, wow. a lot of the international listeners may not know of or may have only seen the name but here in Australia we've just got a really, I mean it's probably the benefit of having a, quite a small scene is that we all sort of um, try and pick each other up and and support each other, and we've got just a, a nice little small healthy scene. But um, as far as trying to get outside and get the rest of the world paying attention to what we do, it's um, yeah, it, it's always been a challenge. But we kind of just take that take that in our stride and, and keep going. And I mean, that's just melodic metal, of course. You know, if we went off on a tangent and talked about all sorts of other genres of, of metal in particular, um, there's just there's just so many bands that have, that have done done really well internationally in the last several years. So um, yeah, it's um, we've tried to. Try to not let the distance these days um, be a reason why we can't succeed. Um, But maybe years gone by, and just purely because we didn't have the connectivity that we do now, um, it was a legitimate reason why um, bands were just not uh, lasting or not having the success that um, some of our our friends in North America or Europe were getting.
0: Mm. And you mentioned something interesting, uh, uh, Martin, about the artwork. And I think that has a lot to do with, uh, most, uh, of these bands, you know, considered in the, in the power of metal realm do have similar artwork. And it does go back to like Rainbow Rising or, or Demons and Wizards and, and, you know, the seventies artwork. And then, you know, you had all the deal records, you know, uh, the, the dragons and, and Yngwie with the trilogy record and all the other, uh, bands that, uh, uh, followed, they all had that cartoonish kind of animated dragons and wizards kind of artwork in there. Um. Yeah. Taken to the extreme on the Christian metal album covers, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but you're you're right about Hammerfall. I mean, a lot of people don't give that band credit. I mean, as huge as as huge as power metal has got all over Europe, and bands like Sabaton, I know are absolutely huge, and Hammerfall, I don't know how if they're still very huge, but in the late nineties and early two thousands, they ruled Europe. And of course you had Manowar that were always, you know, kings in, in Europe. But uh, Hammerfall, when they started in, in the, you know, like you said, in the mid 90s, it was a sound that was not uh, it was new to everyone. and Like you said, they really took a risk and they went through the they were underdogs and saying, hey, look, it, we are traditional metal. We're going to stick to our roots. We're not going grunge. We're not going alternative. We are proud of being traditional metal. So, you know, whether you like that music or not, you got to respect that because that really started this whole genre of of what became um a uh, considered power metal yeah it's funny i mean it's it's a
2: little bit of a guilty pleasure and i can picture you know the guys in Hammerfall, or any of these guys in in Norway or Finland or Sweden, like this is this is the kind of music. I mean, in it, in its extreme, you can think of black metal guys listening to because I've seen this in person, like you know, Love <laughs> and ACDC and listening to it's a long way to the top or whatever. But I mean, I can I I can see a lot of um, guys on the bus. The music you would listen to for pleasure being those early power metal albums, you know, of your youth of whether it's the late seventies or early eighties or whatever, Iron Maiden, of, you know, these are, in, in in a way, these are bands that are guilty pleasures due to their, you know, melody and accessibility versus what you're actually playing in a more extreme metal band, right? So, so some, you know, these guys, I, I this, this came to mind because I can think of so many times when these more extreme bands would would uh, do a cover on a tribute album or do their own you know covers album uh, or or you know play a cover on their own album or whatever it you know generally they will go to to a to an old power metal classic, right so so there is this idea of this being um, you know music that is hooky it's it's very accessible it's it's got earworms the choruses are very anthemic so it's it's music in a metal realm that's uh, that's basically easy to love um, but is it too easy to love sometimes is it too saccharine is it just like it does it give you a stomach ache because it's junk food right
3: there's always a challenge with us in Australia where we've had a pre- predominantly thrash metal death metal black metal scene um a lot of the, the sort of more extreme sort of genres of metal and dungeon in particular i mean was you know we had we had some traditional heavy metal bands in australia but um dungeon was probably one of the first bands that sort of really started uh include elements of what we sort of using air quotes power metal uh elements especially european tinges especially with and things like that and but there wasn't a lot of bands like like the like Dungeon at all. So when you played shows, you had to play shows with death metal bands and black metal bands and and whatever. And so, and we we found it right up until recently as well is that sometimes we'll get on a really odd bill of um, really heavy bands, and we stick out like a sore thumb. And you watch the crowd who are predominantly extreme metal fans, and they're all standing there with their arms crossed. In their uh, in their favorite Scandinavian black metal T-shirts, and they're they're watching us, and then we start playing, and they don't move too much. But by the end of the set, they're starting to nod their head and go, "Oh, this is actually not bad." And yeah. I think what you said, Martin, was a lot of these guys grew up on bands like Maiden and Priest, and and even like yeah ACDC and things like that, where you know there's some there's some sing along choruses, there's some melodic kind of elements to to the music, and it's still got that sort of masculine heaviness to to that to that sound as well, and so. I mean, we've done some odd ones. Dungeon supported Mayhem on uh, the first Australian oh, tour, wow. Uh that that was the most ridiculous pairing. And and the guys actually thought that they were going to get lynched on stage because of it. But um, yeah. it went down a treat. And even today, people still talk about that particular show and just how odd the lineup was, but how it just worked. Yeah. Um, and it's just one of those things where I think we sometimes feel that um, people will just not give us the time of day. It's probably like the hel- the Hammerfall thing where. You know, they're coming they're coming onto the scene and probably coming face to face with a lot of heavier bands in in Europe at least. And they've got they' just got to stand up and go, we're, we're proud of what we do and this is what we're going to do. And if you come along, fantastic, if you don't, then that's cool. And we've always had this, the same sort of mentality where it's like um, you know we'll we'll just stand up and and enjoy what we do and be proud of it. And uh, you, you get quite surprised along the way of who actually turns around and goes, actually you guys aren't that bad after all. Well, I might I might actually listen to you a bit more.
2: Yeah, and I, I could picture like people in some grim black metal band looking at a hammerfall going, "Wow, man, that looks like a lot of fun." I wish I wish I could do that, but I can't, right? Because I, I have to maintain this
0: serious level and. I have to be cool, right? You know, it's funny because I think in Europe, uh, I've always said in Europe, people are so much more open minded. I mean, you look at the festivals, the Sweden Rock or the Vakken or all these different festivals they have uh, throughout Europe, and they will have a wide variety of artists from black metal to death metal to symphonic metal to power metal, you know, to a band like Europe all on the same bill. I mean, you couldn't get away with that in America. I don't know about, I mean, you mentioned in, in Australia, how you've done shows with that. You know, Canada might be a little bit more open-minded, but here in America, I couldn't see that happening. But in Europe, I think that's a, kind of the cool thing about some of these European festivals. And it seems like the crowd is pretty open. They're, you know, back in the day, you know, uh, obviously in the early 80s, you, you always heard about, you know, Castle Donnington or... Reading festival in England where they would throw piss bottles at you if they didn't like you or whatever. But I think uh, I think it's a lot more open now where people are pretty accepting of you know it's it's like it's all about being metal. If you're a metal band, you know it doesn't matter. And I think there's a lot more respect too for like the eight. You'll see a lot of these '80s metal bands like a Triumph or bands like that that'll play you know Sweden Rock or wherever, and people will have a lot of respect for them because like as you said, uh, Andy, you know a lot of these guys grew up on on you know these uh, '80s hard rock and metal bands
2: actually just to give a shout out i mean something you mentioned there we we have to mention europe i i actually i've got a podcast called history in five songs with martin popoff and i did an episode on the new wave of swedish heavy metal right Ah. and those bands like europe i mean that first europe album is just love it it's just unbelievable yeah but europe torch overdrive silver mountain axe Witch, all those Ah, guys love it Essentially, you know, we used to, as kids, call that stuff uh, frostcore,
0: right?
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it had this this cold, chilly, Swedish, very European, very classical, very mournful sort of melodies. Uh, in that stuff. And so that, that I think, is, is also another important part of the roots of power metal right there.
0: You know, it's funny, I always thought it was odd because I was a huge fan of Swedish uh, early metal. It was very melodic, very classy. And by the way, people, Europe's first album was not the final countdown, so that's what, not what we're talking about. <laughs> it's their first self-titled record. But those, all those bands you mentioned there, they had such a Great, classy sound, great musicianship, fantastic guitar players, whether, you know, Jonas Hansen or, you know, John Norum or, I mean, Yngwie, uh just brilliant musicianship all around. And it's funny how Sweden became was always known as this melodic metal and, and Norway to an extent, too, with bands like TNT in the early 80s. And then in the late 90s, it turned over to hardcore death metal in Sweden and black metal in, in Norway, and it It just turned like that.
3: I think I think parts of Europe that I I mean, just from my travels over there over the years is and just looking at a lot of documentaries and 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 stuff that you've been involved with, Martin, as far as, you know, getting getting pieces of history together when it comes to metal is that I just I just see Europe as a place collectively where metal was embraced. I think especially particular parts of Europe that were a little bit more um, locked down due to political, you know, regimes and things like that. And, you know, especially in the eighties when Parts of the parts of the European content started to open up. Um, you know, this this music was sort of you know a bit of a, a liberation for a lot of people, and so I think the way that a lot of European countries took on metal as a as a form of music was just that it was music, and it was it was really really accepted as as something that could be mainstream, and so that's why I think, as you said, Bob, like you know, you go to a festival in Europe and you yeah, one band after the other is just polar opposites. And you're just going, how the hell does this work? But then you look around the crowd and everyone's just super happy, super accepting, open-minded, and just willing to get into it. And, um, and I think that just comes from a cultural thing over there where they've just they've really been excited about Western music, um, embraced a lot of this stuff in the 80s. And, and even, like, going back to, um, I'm pretty sure it was one of the Iron Maiden documentaries, um, not – not Flight Six Six Six, but um, one of the history ones that they were doing. Um, and there's a there's a scene, and they're in somewhere in Europe. And Bruce is talking to a fan. It's like mid '80s, so it's probably around I don't know, Peace of Mind or something like that. And this this European fan says something about keyboards or synthesizers, and Bruce Dickinson just says, "No way! Like you've got to be joking." And then not long after that, <laughs> they bring out they bring out somewhere in time, yeah. And, and obviously, Se- Seventh Son, etc. And it becomes this, you know orchestrated sort of sound that comes in. I mean, they're already doing, as we said, like sort of power metalish lyrical themes and, and epic songs, but um, they sort of took it another step up. And it was just really funny the timing of this particular conversation that was in this documentary because it sort of led into then the next era of this band. Um, but it was all sort of Europe just going, hey, how about you do this, and, and being really open-minded about um, just embracing music in general. We
2: we didn't really dwell on that, but you're right. Keyboards is another big trope of power metal. Exactly. Keyboardists are loud in power metal, and that's you know, Jens G- from uh, from Stradivarius is big there. Yeah, and you yeah. even think of you know may- maybe it's uh, maybe it's that actual keyboard riff in Europe uh, in Final Countdown that caused <laughs> the whole thing, right?
3: <laughs> yeah. It really is a rabbit hole, um, just like any any genre of, of metal. To be honest, you, you sort of just start digging and de- digging. So, um, yeah, the only other thing I sort of wrote down um, was just some of, the, I guess, from a US point of view, is that there's there's quite a few um, recent and younger guys that are coming up in, in sort of this uh, sort of power metal movement, uh, this US power metal movement as well, which is which is quite exciting.
0: Who who are some of the newer US power metal bands? Um, I know of obviously, you know, the, like you mentioned, Ice Earth and Symphony X, and but I hear that a lot of people are talking about a new breed of power metal coming out of the U.S.
3: Yeah, I've, I mean, I've seen, we, we were lucky to play uh, Prog Power USA in 2016 mm. um, in Atlanta, and they've always been a great little festival to showcase what's happening in sort of the progressive and power metal spheres, um, whether it be in the U.S. or bringing bands over from Europe or even or even dragging us up from Australia. But um, I mean, there's, there's bands that I've discovered through that festival that um, there's these little communities of um, growing fan bases in, in the US like Mind um, Maze and Judicator, Hell, Hellion Prime, Seven Kingdoms, um, A Sound of Thunder, Unleash the Archers from, from Canada as well. And they've all got sort of power metal elements to them. Some of them have got a little bit more of a harsher sort of sound uh, or edge to them. But um, I, I was just amazed I, I just that there's this wave of, of newer bands that are coming through in the last five or ten years that um, – are all relatively young people, and uh, just embracing all the all the bands that we've been speaking about for the last hour or so. It's just uh, it's really really cool to see sort of it happening somewhere else, not just in Europe. It's um, and so it's good to see uh, North America sort of taking taking the torch again.
2: There is that little pocket of a of a of a type of power metal band that is a, is a sub movement where they're essentially re celebrating the new wave of British heavy metal. So just like you know, there was hair metal and then what I what I often call dirty hair metal, which starts with Guns and Roses and moves into Skid and mm. and Badlands and Love, Hate. You could almost say that these these revivalists of the new wave of British heavy metal are, are more like a dirty power metal thing. So it's a little scrappier, a little speedier, could be a little rougher on the vocals. So it's a little closer to speed metal, maybe a little bit of thrash. But essentially, it's it's almost like a retro power metal back to the, uh, you know, cherry picking from the new wave of British heavy metal stuff that was a little more like that. I mean, Tiger's a Pantang from the mm-hmm. new... From the new wave of british heavy metal could often be called pretty close to maiden in terms of you know those two bands probably are the two biggest bands that could be considered uh, fairly power metal right and then look at bands like you know you think of oh who else was big in the new wave of british heavy metal well there was saxon they were not power yeah. metal at all then but their last 15 albums 10 albums have been basically squarely in that in that american pure or true metal power metal sense so so except right now and and saxon sound fairly similar to each other and they're actually sounding a lot more
0: power metal than they even did in the early days. Yeah. Well, even uh, the, the album Power and the Glory, that's you know got that power metal kind of anthemic. And then Crusader. It had the the artwork and the song yeah. Crusader, big epic kind of keyboard-ish. Uh, that would definitely be considered power yeah. metal if it yeah. had come out today. Uh, but interested about all those new bands, I'm, I'm not familiar with many of them. I know there's a lot of these U.S. bands that are coming out, which kind of have that new wave of British heavy metal sound, which are called the new wave of... traditional American metal yeah (laughs) I've heard that tag before (laughs) but it's but as you mentioned uh Andy I I forgot about that big festival they have in Atlanta which is all you know dedicated to uh, power and prog metal and uh, I know there's a lot of these festivals coming out I think there's there's even a prog metal cruise or power metal cruise that they do and I mean it's become a, a very very huge genre of music
3: I think it's just inspired that next wave of of metal fans like I mean I've met people at those festivals who have just travelled every year to go and listen to bands that they never thought they'd ever be able to see live, and that was one of the, the beauties of, of what Glenn and Milton and Nathan were doing at, at Prompower. But also to meet bands that haven't been on the festival yet, but um, are just coming to sort of, you know, promote their stuff. I mean, there's another band I think from Madison, Wisconsin called uh, Lords of the Trident, and they're just, I mean, they're totally embracing the whole. Knights in armor and all that sort of stuff, which is you know can be ultra cheesy, but it's really really fun metal. But they come to Power every year to to network and and to get inspired by what's uh, what's being showcased every year. And even what you said, Martin, with the sort of that that next wave of, of uh, sort of that traditional heavy metal and stuff that's come from you know from Britain as well. I mean, you got bands in the US like um, I think Paladin, I think um, I think they're sort of like a bit of a thrashier sort of sound, but also Widow, which I think from North Carolina, I think, mm-hmm. um, and there's and there's just this really cool next wave of people where festivals like Prog Power are sort of giving the opportunity for, for younger people to go, hey, I, this music is actually really cool. Why don't I try and start my own band and uh, see what I can do? And um, it's 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 awesome, and it just keeps keeps these, these genres are alive, even though it's like the, the the second wave or the third wave or the fifth wave or whatever it might be. It's um, yeah, it's it's still it's still got the same ingredients. Right yeah. on. Well,
0: in closing, uh, where do you guys see the future of... Power metal. A lot of people thought it was going to be kind of you know like you said when all these bands you know Hammerfall, Primal Fear, all that they thought ah these bands aren't going to last more than one or two records. But it's obviously carried on, become huge. You know as we mentioned bands like Sabaton, all these other bands they're headlining you know arenas and and places like that all over Europe. Uh, Manowar still mega huge, obviously. You know there's been all these other offshoots as we mentioned symphonic power metal, progressive power metal. Where do you see the future of power metal? We'll start with you, Martin. Well, I
2: I think it really um, will be kept alive because of the enthusiasm and of for the chops of it. I mean, basically, it's great singers, great guitarists, great bass players. You know, double bass drumming tricky time signatures you know cool arrangements keyboards so there's a lot for players to stay excited about and i've always said that i mean every genre that comes along it never it never dies i mean there's always lots and lots of stuff more albums all the time i mean in this day and age when when basically live shows may not be happening for a long time or ever again or who knows i mean i think i think one of the great things that power metal is situated in is because it's it's uh lyrically and image wise pretty substantive that I think a lot of these bands can have big mail order businesses. I mean, mail order yeah. is on my yeah. mind right now and I've been telling a lot of bands and managers of bands like who are fretting about all this. It's like, raise your mail order game. And I, I think, uh, I think power metal is perfectly situated for, uh, you know, things I, I've been telling people like people got to start putting out like illustrated lyric books and things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I think there's just a lot of cool stuff that power metal bands could do over and above other bands
0: uh, to basically come up with more products and to uh, and to push their mail order. Merchandise is a huge thing with with power metal bands, as you mentioned, and usually because of their great artwork, they have really cool artwork, and people love to. I mean, even in the nineties, I was seeing young kids uh, in the late nineties with you know Hammerfall shirts and Iced Earth shirts, and you know it's become like the next step of the you know Iron Maiden shirts, you know, uh, uh, with Eddie. You know, it's it's they're very proud to wear that. So and I, as you say, is a big thing, is the artwork and the merchandise is uh, definitely all you power metal bands take advantage. I know you got you have a pretty big uh, merchandise section. I was just on your uh, website, Andy. Uh, uh, what, what, what's your views on uh, not just the future of power metal, but as uh, Martin talks about merchandising?
3: Merchandising, I'm I'm always uh, scratching or uh, searching around for for the next idea to, to capitalize on. Um, we're we we're, we're really really good at um, at uh, you know selling merch via mail order, um, and we're really lucky. I think I think one of the things about sort of the people that listen to our music. If you're if you're thinking from a marketing point of view and you're trying to stereotype your typical fan, you know, people that listen to our music and a lot of these bands that we've been speaking about are real music purists. They're enthusiasts. They they really care about the music and they're probably people that grew up uh, maybe in the 70s or the 80s, bought records um, or, or CDs and they still really love the tangible aspect of it all. And so for us, I mean, we sell our last album came out last year and we sold more CDs on that album than we have in years. And it just completely is the opposite of what is going on in the industry um, overall. And, and obviously merchandise, t-shirts and things like that are, are always a big moneymaker and really popular with people as well. And and yeah, it comes down to the visual aspect and, and how it's represented. And you can't, you can't half ass that. You can't, um, that was one thing that I always noticed in the early 2000s when, you know, CGI became this big, you know, amazing thing and everyone started embracing Photoshop and there was some of the worst album covers of all time that came out in the early 2000s by a lot of great big legacy bands just making a stab at trying to be, you know, uh, futuristic or whatever with their art. It was just, it was just dialed in horrible, horrible looking CGI. And I think now in the last few years, some um, bands have so- started to go back and go, you know what, there's a lot of importance on art, even though, you know, streaming's really, really popular and in a lot of cases is, uh, a stronger option than than the tangible CD or vinyl. Um, it has to be a massive, massive uh, element to, to what you do. So yeah, we've we've always embraced that, and we, we continue to make that a big focus of what we do as a, as a bank. We're, we're a business in a way. I mean, we've got to got look at ourselves like that. But with power metal, I think it might be a bit unfair to say this, but I think there's a there's a real sort of element of nerd culture that's associated with power metal, whether it be the lyri- lyrical themes. Um, the way that's visualised, the presentation, et cetera. And it sort of blends into your Comic-Con crowd, um, sci-fi crowd, people that really love that sort of nerdy sort of sci-fi sort of culture. And I think because of that, there will always be a market uh, and a really strong market for power metal because it just really sort of scratches the itch for a lot of those people that love love collecting things, they love um, the, the mythology or... fantasy elements and things like that, and I think that will always uh, ensure that um, bands that lean heavily into that will always... always been
0: quite successful absolutely martin why don't you talk about the things you got going on you mentioned the history and five songs podcast which is a fantastic podcast i i highly recommend uh everyone check that out and you've got many books and i'm just seeing here on your website you've now got paintings uh so i didn't realize you were a painter as well what what don't you do martin <laughs> yeah, those
2: I did way back in the 90s, but I've been doing some really weird stuff and basically uh, imagining and, and doing color versions of black and white record ads and uh, and doing Led Zeppelin ads and saying, what if we, we stuck some cool imagery? You know, it's a long story, but I've been doing a lot of drawing and actually I've done some. Some drawings for, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, illustrated lyric books. We'll see if those uh, those come out. Um, but, no, it's mostly the books. I do want to do more art. But, yeah, I do have the podcast, History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff. We've got a YouTube show called The Contrarians that I do. So that's a video and right. audio, obviously, a YouTube show where, you know, there's two guys and one guy, you know, believes the greatest album by this band is an odd choice and he has to argue it. Um, and then, yeah, Martin martinpopoff.com com for all the books. Basically, any book that is in print, uh, I have a supply in my office, and I sign them and sell them out of the office here. That's probably a big part of my income. So that's MartinPopoff.com. There's PayPal buttons there for uh, international, U.S. and Canada. Um, and like I say, I sign them and send them out all from here. And that's uh,
0: that's about it. All right. And that, uh, contrariums, that is a uh, banger films, correct? You could, uh, no,
2: actually there is all the banger film stuff too. So I'm, okay. I'm on uh overkill rewind overkill on Uh, I do regular reviews for banger as well. So I've, you, you could probably dial up about, uh, 15 or so different segments i've been on there uh including the one where we we do a poll and find the top five albums of a certain year i've done five or six of those i love but those. No, Con- contrarians is uh is myself and a few buddies and we film it right here in the office we just actually did uh an episode of a new thing we're trying where we did uh something by zoom a slightly different thing but yeah i'm, I'm kind of all over YouTube with these little things. Um, and then the podcast, we're up into uh, 46 episodes. New episode just wow. came out today, which is called The Foreigner Effect, where I look at, uh, basically, I pick five little song uh, segments and, and come up with a theme and, and make an argument based on these five five songs.
0: Dude, you are the busiest man in heavy metal. I gotta stay. I gotta tell you. (laughs) Of course, you got the uh, the latest Rush book, Anthem. You got Denim and Leather by Saxon, Black Funeral, Into the Coven with Merciful Fate. Great book. Satisfaction, the uh, ten albums that changed my life. You recently put out, of course, Holy Smoke. Uh, That's your third maiden book, right? The Holy Smoke. Yeah, well, technically, uh, what is it? Uh, Yeah, Yeah, I think it's third,
2: but it's second of a series where I'm taking everything I've written on Maiden that, you know, most of it's out of print now and basically writing standard, standard books. So there's Where Eagles Dare, the middle one, Holy Smoke, is sold out. Um, but the third one is going to be called Empire of the Clouds, Iron Maiden in the 2000s. And that's about three quarters finished. I might reactivate Holy Smoke when I when I activate the, uh, the third one. But basically, there'll be a trilogy of these maiden books.
0: All right. And to get everything on Martin Popoff, just go to martinpopoff.com. That is M-A-R-T-I-N-P-O-P-O-F-F dot com. You can check out all his books there, his podcasts, and even his paintings as well as your eBooks and audiobooks. So So uh, definitely go there. And uh, Andy, what do you got going on with Lord? You've got a,
3: a new release coming out. Is that correct? Yeah, well, we um, we put out our last album in uh, 2019, um, in August. And we've got um, our third single that's going to be coming out soon. Um, we haven't announced anything yet, but uh, stay tuned for that one. Uh, but um, yeah, au is the, the place to go and check it all out. Um, got a pretty sort of... Busy website there with lots of stuff um, to check out. But the last album, Fallen Idols, has gone really well for us. Probably um, we we hit the uh, the mainstream charts in Australia for the first time ever, which was uh, crazy for a, for a band that uh, you know worships some of these bands that we've been speaking about um, in in the Australian market, which um, has never uh, really sort of embraced uh, metal in the mainstream. Uh, it's been really good to sort of get that kind of recognition. Um, yeah, so. Um so yeah some new stuff that'll be coming soon from us and um and then yeah just my podcast as well so I've just been doing anti social for the past few years got two and episodes and yeah you've been on it, bob and so and Martin I'll, I'll I'll no doubt twist your arm at some stage in the future as well see if you <laughs> want to come on for a chat sure. but um it's been a great a great way to sort of broaden the horizons and speak to a lot of fantastic people and um yeah so um yeah, you can go to Andy as well and that's that's my little world and everything I'm involved with.
0: All right. Andy dot Dal- Andydowling.net D-O-W-L-I-N-G and or you could go to Lord.net.au fantastic uh podcast guys and and one thing I got to mention about both you guys I love the fact that Martin you do uh self publishing you publish your books yourself and of course Andy the last several albums uh lord albums you put out were all self released on your own label which uh you know, I find very you know rewarding. About half of mine are
2: self-published, and the other half are through about. There's probably been ten or twelve different publishers. But yeah, I do. I do do a lot of it. Uh, I basically. If if I don't even want to uh, think about how to get a, a book deal on a band like Riot or Accept or Max Webster or Blue Oyster Cult, I'll just do it myself. But, I mean, the Rush books through a, through a big publisher and all those Voyager books and stuff like that. But, yeah, I, I love self-publishing. I can basically do as well at that as, as going through a publisher. So
0: Absolutely. Well, appreciate you both coming on the podcast, and we will definitely be in touch very soon. Thanks again, hey, guys. guys. A lot right. of fun. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast. Subscribe and listen to all episodes by going to our pages on iTunes, Spreaker, YouTube, Spotify, and more. You can listen to all other episodes and access up-to-date information and news on the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast by going to our website at www.shockwaveskullsessions.com. Email all comments, questions, and suggestions to Sessions at gmail.com. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a cucumber. Poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch free payments for your business is easy. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Touch free QR code payments. No seller fees until 2021, not applicable to PayPal here transactions. Other fees may apply.
3: Shop safe with PayPal. Ace is the
1: place with the helpful hardware, folks. There's no better feeling than grilling out, and there's no better place than Ace to get the best grill for you and your family. We have the hottest grills from top brands like Big Green Egg, Traeger, and Weber. And since our our stores are locally owned and we're committed to helping our neighbors. We'll also assemble and deliver your grill for free. Around the block, what you need in stock with people who know their grills. Offer valid for Ace Rewards members through September 7th on Grills and Accessories 399 dollars and up. See participating stores for scheduling or exclusions.